Hello everyone, I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight, and we're so glad to have you tuned in to this week's program. We're going to be discussing the subject of hard preaching. Uh, Do you consider your pastor a hard preacher? And by that, I don't mean he's a difficult man or a hard man to get along with. I mean he preaches the whole counsel of God, and although it's never his intention to offend or upset anyone, He does preach the Word of God, and should that offend or should that upset, well, that's just the way it's going to have to be because I'm not going to compromise the Word of God. You know, a long time ago, a lot of church members were used to hard preaching, but today we don't hear as much of it because so much of today's preaching has become politically correct, and it's become something that we don't want to offend or hurt or make anyone feel bad. We want it to be user-friendly, center-friendly, if you will, that you come to our church and Even though you may be lost and living a life in sin, well, we don't want you to be uncomfortable at all. Now, now certainly, uh, I firmly believe as a pastor in welcoming everyone to the church. The biggest sinner in town is welcome to the church. But we don't change the message. The message is sin is sin, and sin has to be paid for, and if uh, and sin can only be paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ if you want to ever have favor with God. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today, and the subject matter again is entitled Hard Preaching. I hope you'll, uh, you'll stay tuned for today's program. Right now, though, Ivan Parker to sing for us, The Grace That I'm Under. that I'm under His mercy overwhelms me every day Just to know that I'm forgiven and to know that I've been saved I can't get over that I'm under His grace I can't get over There's angels watching over me And the hand of God will catch me if I fall Just to know that He abides with me To know He won't be sight of me He gives me strength to overcome it all I can't get over the grace that I'm under His mercy overwhelms me every day Just to know that I'm forgiven And to know that I've been saved I can't get over that I'm under His any man that this, that he would lay down his life. He died for me while I was yet a sinner. For my redemption, Jesus paid the price. He paid the price. I can't get over the grace that I'm under. His mercy overwhelms me every day. Just to know that I'm I can't get over His love. I can't get over the cross. 
get over the blood I can't get over the grace that I'm under His mercy overwhelms me every day Just to know that I'm I'm under His grace. I can't get over that I'm under His grace. No, I can't get over that I'm under God's grace. Today we're discussing the subject of hard preaching. I want to ask you a question. What happens when the church ceases to preach against sin? When the church ceases to preach against sin. You're probably familiar with the story of King David and his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. The incident resulted in Bathsheba's pregnancy, as you know. And as soon as she discovered her condition, she sent word to David. And when David received the news, he, well, he panicked. His reputation as a godly, upright man was in jeopardy. Here's a man who will write about 3,000 psalms or more in spiritual songs. He had been God's instrument in slaying many of Israel's enemies. He'd illustrated to the world what it meant to have a great heart for God. And yet now, yet now, in his panicked state, David thought only, not only of his own reputation, but also the reputation of the Lord. If his sin were exposed, it would be connected to God's name. Visions of a huge scandal probably flooded his mind, and David conceived a plan to cover up his affair with Bathsheba, which ultimately involved the death of uh, or really the murder, I should say, perhaps, of her husband, Uriah. David's story stands out as one of the worst falls any leader has ever taken. Why? Because it happened to the man of God, someone who was passionate for righteousness. The Scripture says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It says in Second Samuel 11 and verse number 27. But thank God, David had a pastor who did not mind preaching against sin. A pastor who didn't fear man, even if that man were the king. Nathan the prophet was David's pastor, and, and he wasn't afraid to expose the sin in anyone, in, his, in anyone that was put under his charge, including the king. I see Nathan as a type of a godly shepherd who weeps over the sin in his congregation. It must have grieved him deeply that David, a man whom everyone looked to as a godly and righteous man, was now not only a, a deep in sin, but covering up that sin. Nathan knew all that David had done because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him. How did this preacher of holiness, this preacher of righteousness, reprove someone who was covering such a horrible sin? Many young pastors ponder how they might deal with sin in the congregation. So many couples are divorcing and others are living in adultery. Men of God know they have a responsibility to preach God's holiness, but they don't want to drive anyone out of the church either. We don't want don't want to purposely cause discord among the flock. The Word of God is indeed a two-edged sword. 
but you have to wield that sword wearing velvet gloves with much care. These things must be handled with love and often with tears. And I believe Nathan provides us with a wonderful example of how a godly pastor, a godly minister exposes sin. He didn't storm into David's presence with his arms flailing back and forth and a voice thundering saying, man, you're going to get yours. God's mad at you, man. You're going to end up in hell. No, he delivered God's awesome sin-revealing message with great wisdom and also with persuasive power and tender mercy. And Nathan chose to use a parable to do it. Now we can read about that parable in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'll pick up in verses 3 and 4 where Nathan says, A poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay at his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Verse 4 now, it says, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of the flock of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Again, that's 2 Samuel 12, 3 and 4. Now, when David heard this, he went ballistic. He, he told Nathan, that wealthy man, that fella, uh, that, that, he's a creepo and he's as good as dead. And the Bible says David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to David, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Again, that's Second Samuel, this time, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. At this point, Nathan must have had tears in his eyes. And trembling, and with a heart of compassion and love, he said to David, this is now in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 12 of Second Samuel, Thou art the man. Thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife, to be thy wife. That's the moment. It all hit David square between the eyes and he broke. As we read David's writings from this time on, we see the cry of a broken man. The Holy Spirit had been hounding David, speaking to his heart, urging him to repent. He couldn't escape God's merciful hounding. After studying this passage of the Bible, we ought to cry out to God, please God, if I ever slip, if I ever fall into compromise, put me under the godly reproof of a preacher who isn't afraid to expose sin. God, if I ever turn away from you, if I ever veer from the truth, put me under the loving care of a pastor who's not afraid to preach the truth, even if it hurts, even if it hurts. I believe one of God's greatest gifts of mercy to his church today is his faithful ministers who lovingly reprove us of our sins. I thank God for these Nathan preachers, men who, who don't wish to offend. They don't wish to upset anyone. Uh, they certainly don't, don't want you not to like them. We all want to be liked. But yet they're men filled with love and compassion, yet men who aren't afraid to offend elders, deacons, or wealthy and powerful church members if need be, if preaching the truth is going to be hindered. They stand face to face with anyone to expose their iniquities, but do so with tenderness, grace, compassion, and love. 
Now, of course, not everyone wants such reproof. I know that as a loving shepherd, I have to be careful of my tone. But I can't apologize for preaching convicting truth. I, I ask you, what happens to the church when pastors no longer show people their iniquities? What happens to the church when, when pastors no longer point out sin? When people no longer tell you that you're, that you're being sinful, that you're, that you're dressing immodestly, that you're speaking improperly, or, or whatever, the you're behaving in a way that's unbecoming to a Christian. What happens when pastors quit telling people these things? Where would David had ended up if he hadn't have had Nathan to point out to him his wickedness and confront him with the wickedness? You have to understand, friends, Nathan was well aware that the powerful king could have slain him for saying that. Now look, uh, if I preach boldly to the church and I preach against sin and some powerful member of the church uh, is living in that sin, well, he may hate me, he may despise me, he may cause some trouble, but he's probably not going to kill me. But Nathan didn't know David had the power to kill him. He could have said, you're not talking to me that way. I don't appreciate that at all. Off with your head. He could have slain him, and Nathan knew that. He'd seen David fly off the handle many times, so why didn't Nathan just say, well, look, I'll be a friend to David. I'll pray for him. I'll be there when he needs me. If he ever wants to talk about this thing, I'll talk to him, but I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to convict him. What would have happened? Well, I, I, I don't know, but my guess is without Nathan's convicting word, David could could have fallen under the worst judgment known to human humankind. And that worst possible judgment is for God to turn you over to your sin, to stop all the Holy Spirit's dealings in your life. Yet that's exactly what is happening to many Christians today. They choose to listen only to the soft, flesh-assuring, flesh-pleasing word of, 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 of preaching that they're hearing today. Where there's no convicting word, there can be no godly sorrow over sin. There can be no genuine repentance. And where there's no godly sorrow for sin, there can be no real turning away from that sin. And where there's no repentance, there's only hardness of heart. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said this, this is 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. Paul said his outcry against the Corinthian sin, if you remember the book of 1 Corinthians, he addressed many sins that the church was tolerating. This church was filled with sin. And, and Paul just, just spewed it out, let it go, and said, guys, you got to get things straight there. But he said, I am so glad that my letter produced a godly sorrow in you, which led to repentance. In turn, that produced in them, in them a hatred for sin, a fear of God, and a desire to live uprightly. Yet this never would have happened if he hadn't preached a sharp, piercing, convicting word and done so with love and compassion. If there had been no Nathan, no piercing prophetic word, David could have, could have ended up like Saul, spiritually dead with no Holy Ghost guidance, having lost all intimacy with God. As David listened to Nathan's loving but searing word, he remembered the time a previous king had been warned by a prophet. David had heard all about Samuel's warning to King Saul, and he'd heard about Saul's half-hearted response. David saw firsthand the ruinous changes that befell King Saul. 
the once spirit-led king continually rejected the Holy Spirit's reproving words delivered by the Holy Prophet. Soon Saul began to walk in self-will, bitterness, and rebellion. Finally, the Holy Ghost departed from him. It says, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. 1 Samuel 15.23 The Lord departed from Saul. 1 Samuel 18.12 Saul ended up, if you remember, turning to a witch for guidance. David is aware of that history. He remembered all the madness, ugliness, and terror surrounding this man who had shut out God's word. Suddenly the truth pierced his own heart. I too have sinned. Maybe not exactly the same way Saul did, but I certainly have sinned. And now here's another prophet, another prophet in another time, giving me God's word, just as Samuel gave it to Saul. And Saul would not listen. And what a ruinous end he had. So I've got a choice. Am I going to listen? Or am I going to follow in the footsteps of the king who came before me? Now, it's true that David paid severe consequences for his sin. I'm not saying that. In fact, he prophesied judgment upon himself, if you remember. He told Nathan that the rich man who stole the poor man's lamb should restore it fourfold. And that's just what happened in David's life. The baby that Bathsheba gave birth to died within days. And three of David's other sons, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, all had tragic what we might say, untimely deaths. So David did pay for his sin with four of his own lambs. The Bible clearly shows that whenever we return to the Lord in genuine, heartfelt repentance, God responds by bringing absolute reconciliation and restoration. We don't have to end up like Saul. God gives the repentant soul an incredible promise. In Joel chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, the Bible says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Joel 2, 25 and 26, the Lord says, I can restore it. I can fix it. I can fix the mess that you, have, that you have made. Think about that for a moment. God says when you sin, not only will I forgive your sin, but I'll help you clean up the mess. I'll help you clean up the mess that has been made. God promises to restore. God's tender mercy allows even the worst sinner to say, I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm a child of the living God with all the rights of heaven in my soul. I no longer live under condemnation because my past is fully behind me. And I don't have to pay for any past sins because Jesus paid the price for me on the cross. What's more, he said he'll restore ultimately everything to me. Here's the truth about what happened to David. He listened to God's word from Nathan. He repented and obeyed. And as a result, he spent the rest of his life growing in his knowledge of God. The Lord brought great peace into David's life, and eventually all his enemies were silenced. 
Yet the clearest evidence, perhaps, of God's restoration in David's life is his own testimony. Read what David wrote in his dying days in 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation and my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. This isn't the testimony of someone who's quietly faded away because of some sin in their life. That's the testimony of a champion. We've just studied what David did to displease the Lord, yet even after that, David will forever be known as the man after God's own heart. It's because he quickly and genuinely repented of his sin. Yes, he needed a little encouragement from Nathan, and thank God he got it. The truth about hard preaching is, if it's preached through tears that it's really not hard preaching at all. It's grace preaching. If you're being probed by God's word, if his spirit isn't letting you sit comfortably in your sin, then you're being shown mercy. It's the deep love of God at work wooing you out of death and into life, wooing you out of the misery that you're in and back into life, life abundant. Will you respond to him as David did? If so, you'll know what true restoration and true reconciliation is all about. And God will restore everything the enemy has has stolen. We've talked today about what happens when a church ceases to preach against sin. We need Nathan preachers today, men who will stand up in the pulpit and not out of hatred, not out of a vindictive spirit, not trying to attack anyone personally, but men who are willing to stand behind the pulpit and preach against sin if there's sin in the congregation. And a warning against sin, even if there's no direct sin in the congregation, to say, folks, uh, this is things Christians do not do and cannot do. And if you find yourselves tempted to do them, or if someone in the congregation is doing them, you are wrong. You need to repent. You need to turn to the Lord. Claim your forgiveness in Christ. We need that kind of preaching Today, what happens when a church ceases to preach against sin? Well, first off, the lost often don't get saved. They don't get saved. They often end up in hell. Why? Because the preacher didn't have the courage to preach against sin and to tell them that you are a sinner. We all are. Everyone, apart from the grace of God, is a sinner. And sin has to be paid for. Sin debt has to be paid. You can either accept Christ's payment for it on the cross or you can pay your own way, so to speak, by by eternal torment in hell. What happens when the church ceases to preach against sin? Well, often the lost don't get saved. But secondly, backslidden Christians don't get reclaimed. They continue to backslide. And many of them might face chastening from the Lord. Many of them might end up losing their testimony and losing their family and losing their ministry, losing their effectiveness, losing their reward at the judgment, all because, all because perhaps a preacher somewhere along the line didn't want to offend them. And what even happens to the good godly members of your congregation is that they're not warned. If you don't preach against sin, they're not warned that they need to stay on the straight and narrow. And they need to be encouraged that they too face temptation every single day. And a temptation they cannot yield to because it can destroy their lives also. Oh, God forbid the church fail to preach against sin. But yet I see more and more of that in these latter days. 
We like the sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. We like the politically correct speeches. We like the good parts, uh, what we call the good parts of the gospel, that God is love, and and he is, that God is merciful, and, and he is, that God is compassionate, and God wants us all to be saved, and all that is very true. I would certainly not argue that with anyone. But there is another side of that, and that is that God is also a God of justice, and he's a God of wrath even. He's a God that says sin cannot, cannot go unpunished. Sin has to be paid for. Someone must pay the sin debt. Someone. Even if you were to say today, and even if it were possible for you to do today, to say, well, Lord, I'm not going to sin anymore. From this day forward, I'm cleaning up my life. I'm never going to sin again. I I promise you that. You don't have to worry about that. I'm just not going to sin. Number one, that's impossible. But number two, even if you did that, what about all the past sins? They have to be paid for. They have to be. How are you going to take care of that? How are you going to undo all that? You know, if I go out to a a place, I've got a credit account, and I owe them maybe five or $600, and I go out to them, and I say, hey, folks, I've got good news for you. I'm tearing up my credit card. I'm not going to charge anything else. You don't have to worry about me anymore because I'm just not going to charge anything else. And they say, well, 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 that's good. That may even be prudent because you're obviously having some, some trouble managing your finances. And I say, well, I just want you to know you're not going to see me anymore. I'm not going to be here anymore because I'm not charging anything else. I say, well, that's fine, but what about what you still owe us? I said, what do you mean what I still owe? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to buy anything else from you on credit. I'm not. They said, yeah, but you still owe us money, and you got to pay your past debt. It's great that you're not going to charge anything else, but what about the past debt? Well, fact is you cannot possibly go through the rest of your life without sinning. You're going to sin. We all do. But your sin debt must be paid but it has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross if you'll simply accept his payment and I pray that you will hard preaching I believe is needed in the church today hard preaching preached in love preached in compassion preached in grace and often preached with tears but hard preaching is what so many people need today to be reminded that God is a righteous God and as a righteous God he will judge sin even in his own children, and maybe I should say especially in his own children through the form of chastisement. Hard preaching. If you've got a preacher that preaches hard and straight and truth, even if it steps on your toes or someone else's, you need to thank God for such a man. Well, again, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's program. If our programs are a blessing to you, we would enjoy hearing from you. And let me mention also Christian Bible College. If you're interested in pursuing your Christian education as a pastor, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a Christian school teacher, whatever the case might be, I want to remind you that Christian Bible College offers degrees, whether you want a general diploma or a bachelor's degree, master's, right on up through a PhD level, it's all offered. Check it out online, christianbiblecollege.org, christianbiblecollege.org. Until next time, T.D. Worthington here Say, may God richly bless you is my prayer. Be safe.